Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Billy Bragg is an iconic musician, songwriter, singer, and activist who lives in and hails from the United Kingdom. An active and outspoken artist for 40 years, Bragg has pledged his life and livelihood to making a positive change in this world and urging others, particularly younger generations, to hold authority figures and politicians to account for their decisions. He speaks of empathy and political engagement, and he has been speaking of such things, long before the likes of Brexit and Donald Trump. On July 7th, 2017, Bragg released a new song called The Sleep of Reason, and he and his collaborator, Joe Henry, are appearing at the Hillside Festival in Guelph the weekend of July 14th to perform songs from their acclaimed 2016 album, Shine a Light, field recordings from the Great American Railroad. They'll be playing some other songs too, I'm sure. Billy and I caught up this week to extensively discuss the sleep of reason and its lyrics, the current political landscape around the world, really, traveling in trains on the American railway system with Joe Henry and cutting a record at stops along the way, Gordon Lightfoot, his future plans, and much more. Sponsored by Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, this is Billy Bragg, on the 332nd episode of Creative Control with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Billy. How are you? I'm good, Vish. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. It's nice to have you on the show. Uh, as I always ask my guests, where where in the world are you today? I'm in my home in, uh, on the south coast of England on Chesil Beach. Nice. How's that? How are things there? Well, it was lovely this morning. It's a bit overcast now. And I, I heard rumors rain might be coming tomorrow, but we kind of need it here. We've had, a, we've had a rather hot couple of weeks. Yeah. Is it normally, isn't it rainy there or is it uh, normally hot? I don't even know. 
Well, there is no normal anymore, really. I mean, it's normally rains at Glastonbury Festival, and it, it kind of rained a little bit, but not as much as it normally does. So I have no, I have no idea now. I just wake up in the morning, and look out the window, and take whatever's there. <laughs> you say there's it's, there's no normal now. I, are you alluding to climate change or just, uh, just everything? Everything, yeah. There's no normal. Everything, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to begin by asking you uh, some questions about this song, this powerful new song that you just released, "The Sleep of Reason." And uh, in an unusual step for me, I actually want to go through it with you uh, there's certain turns of phrase that that caught my ear are you okay with this uh, as an exercise of course, yeah. Yeah. of course now one of the first uh, lines that caught my attention was we gather around our shiny screens one by one the stars go dim and fall out of the sky and we gather around our shiny screens to say the last goodbye I, I can relate to that notion do you think our mediated lifestyles are making us more or less engaged with the world around us. Do you have a take on that? I do. I mean, I was alluding there in that verse to the the awful run of uh, rock star deaths that seemed to overshadow last year hmm. and how they produced some kind of communal experiences that you don't normally get on the Internet. Um, and I, I thought that was a kind of, you know, it's not a bad thing when everyone sort of has an outpouring of how much they love David Bowie or Prince or George Michael or whoever. But it's not the it's not the same as, as getting together and, and, you know, having real communal feelings in a, in a, in a you know, all in one place. So I'm trying to sort of balance up the, the pros and cons of that. Yeah, I've had I've had discussions about this issue on this show before, and it's sort of equally split. I think some people feel like they know more about the world, even if it's you know having to go through all the trolling and whatnot. They feel more engaged, and you know, like you say about uh, actual gatherings. In some cases, uh, those gatherings were precipitated by a call on social media. So it, it, I assume you. I assume that's what you're getting at there. It's it's a yeah. I mean, I think I'm trying to just trying to make sense of how you know it seemed like in 2016 life started coming at us really fast. Now is that because events were happening really fast, or is it because the digital media has sped everything up? And we haven't quite worked that one out yet. I don't think. Do you yourself engage uh, heavily with social media, or or the? I do for my sins. Yeah, I have a Facebook page and a Twitter page that I. I Put something, try and put something on every day, if only just an observation, you know. Yeah. Some days I don't do anything at all. But, um, you know, with Brexit going down and Trump and the election, of course, just recently happened here in the UK, there's a whole lot of stuff to talk about. <laughs> and I assume you learn more, for better or for worse, you, you learn more about the noise out there when you post something like that. I certainly get to sharpen my arguments. Yeah. Is that, so it's, in some ways you find it healthy. Uh, it's healthy in that sense. It's not very healthy when I've been doing it for an hour and I should be doing, you know, going to bed or something or doing something productive rather than just arguing with, with quitters or, or Trumpites or people who hate Jeremy Corbyn. Right. Well, this brings... Which there seems to be loads of, actually. Yeah, and I mean, there's... Uh, yeah, this speaks to the next question I was going to ask you about, or rather the next turn of phrase. And surrogates keep their caps lock on to shout each other down. Lights riding style on a big red bus While you walk into town And surrogates keep their catwalks on To shout each other down This is a particularly low period for civil discourse. What do you think has precipitated this era of, I think, bullying and also within that, the dissemination of 
misinformation, a mistrust of facts. What's your take on that? Misanthropes generally get ignored in their in their environments because everyone's fed up with them whinging. But the internet, of course, on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Mm. So you can go on there and just keep rattling stuff out. I, I can tell them a mile off. I mean, you know, there was some guy on last night really just before I went to bed who was pretending to be pro-Brexit, but all of his points were classic quitter points. And I'm like, you know, he made some point and I was just like, in your dreams, quitter, and I just went to, went to bed. So I, hopefully I'm, I'm like, because I'm happy to sort of um, have a, you know, a discussion with someone who's interested in talking around a point. And there's a lot of points out there at the moment. I'm happy to do that, but I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm not up for having my, my uh, you know, my whiskers pulled anymore, my beard tugged. I'm, I'm getting good at spotting that. I think. Going back to my first question, though, have you found in your observation that this mediated anonymity, like this, an, that you're referring to anonymity, people feel empowered by just throwing something up there because they know there's not going to be any real consequences for them. But do you not find that this trolling and this this sort of insult, whatever you want to call it, don't you find it's translating into real-world situations and confrontations now? I think a lot of people would think twice about saying the first thing that came into their head if they were actually in front of the person they're saying it to. However, having said that, I think both Brexit and the election of Donald Trump have given license to all sorts of xenophobes, uh, sexists, homophobes, and uh, sort of all around, uh, I don't know, are you allowed to say arseholes on the radio in Canada? Yes, you are. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of like, it's sort of, it's kind of given them license, unfortunately. You know, it's not in the sense of the song, you know, the sleep of reason produces monsters. Trump isn't so much the monster, monster is the kind of like the, the justification for all the little monsters to come out and do their monstrous things. Yeah, you know, I neglected to ask you first off to contextualize the song. I read on your website that uh, the song is inspired by an etching. Can you elaborate upon that? Because that, that turn of phrase, yes. this, this, the sleep of reason produces monsters, is a, it really it captures this era for me quite wonderfully. Yeah, it's a, it's a lost art, actually, the, uh, the art of writing songs about etchings. <laughs> and it's a shame, really. I think more artists should more. I'm hoping to get a Nobel Prize for it. For, uh, but yeah, uh, there's a great etching by Goya. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Francisco Goya's work. He was a 18th century uh, Spanish artist who who did incredible paintings. Some of them very very political about the turbulent times he lived through. One of his etchings is a, a guy asleep at a table and he's been assailed by all these kind of dark creatures, bats and things. And, and it says at the bottom of it, the, the sleep of reason produces monsters. And trying to make sense of last year, what was going on, first Brexit, then Trump, that, that phrase kind of came back and, and, and kind of bit me. And I thought there's definitely a, a, you know, something to do with this, with this song. So I just borrowed that title for that song for the payoff line for the ver each verse. And the sleep of And when did you encounter this etching? Oh, a long time ago. It's in the Prado in Madrid. So, oh, I would say the 80s, the first time I went to the Prado. And um, he'd have got all of his works there, you know, the ones that were, they peeled off the walls of his house and stuff like that. I mean, it's yeah. just incredible, powerful stuff. Another one of his etchings is, 
Saturn eating his sons. If, if you Google that, it's one of the most, again, another monstrous etching. The guy was was a, a tormented genius. Right. Uh, but the particular, the Sleep of Reason produces monsters did uh, did did stay with me as an idea. And these things kind of have a have a tendency to bubble up in times of need. So you you, you encountered the the etching twenty thirty years ago, but didn't re- put it to paper until now. No, no. I mean, you're trying to you're trying to find a way of making sense of what's going on. Mm-hmm. What can you know? How can you come up with something that 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 reflects what happened last year? And that it just seemed to me when I when I remembered that that title that that etching that it really for me drew some sort of frame around something I could I could articulate about the, the events of 2016 yeah no that's very interesting i didn't realize it had been i wasn't sure when you'd encounter it that's very, that's really fascinating mm. obviously it stuck with you for this whole time oh yeah it's a it's a brilliant idea it's a brilliant image as well in his work goya's work particularly is something i've always been uh, i've always been fond of whenever i go to madrid i try and get down to the prado if i have time okay there's some great art in there not just his art but uh it's always worth a you can pick up a lot of things you know wandering around galleries and museums well, clearly, if you're going to pursue the the lost art of writing songs about etchings, etchings, yeah, and woodprints. I've I've written songs about woodprints as well. I've done that too. You're just a guy who writes songs about stuff. I mean, artistic stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I get my ideas from everywhere. You know, I'm a, I'm a, in that sense, I'm a borrower. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the song. There's a the next uh, line I wanted to ask you about. It's over now. You lost my friend. Move on. Just let it go. It's over now. You lost my friend. Just let it go Says a man who flies A confederate flag On his profile Just for sure There is a sense that the greater good has been lost In this haze of winning Victory over one side over the other They just want to win Which I find childish, I find it dangerous Like I say, I don't think the greater good is really being Contemplated seriously enough here And then yeah. within that, I think some people the The gall of some people to just refuse to acknowledge their own hypocrisy, their own dishonesty. This is a huge question for you, Billy, but if anyone can answer it, it's probably you. Do you have a take on what happened to decorum? What happened to shame? Something has gone wrong here. Well, I think it's it's all part of the war on empathy, isn't it? Anyone who has any, any fellow feeling, you know, uh, any compassion for someone, particularly someone outside of their own racial group or outside their gender or outside their country, they're immediately dismissed as being politically correct or um, accused of virtue signaling. You know, there's, there's the, the, the right had this kind of macho attitude of, you know, to show any, any feeling for someone else is somehow, you know, disdainful or traitorous or something like that. And I think to them, winning is everything, but it takes, you know, you need to do more than win. I mean, Obama won two elections, but he wasn't able to, to get his agenda uh, through Congress. And it's it's more complicated than just winning. As I, I used to say to the um, the guys who worked, you know, and girls who worked very hard to get Obama elected and were very disappointed with the reality, I said, yeah, but all you did was get your guy on the pitch. Mm-hmm. You Now you've got to get the ball in his hand. And then you've got to get the boy in the end zone. That's not doesn't just stop with getting him elected. And it's the same with Trump and with, with Brexit. You know, I mean, Brexit, uh, the referendum wasn't the, the end of it. It wasn't it was anything except a, a decision. How that decision is then implemented is much, much more complicated. How, how it, you know, what it actually will mean 
for us socially, uh, economically, um, sort of politically. All these things haven't been coloured in. So, and a year has passed as well since we made that decision, and nothing has moved forward. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's you know, it's incredible. So we're still we're still biffing each other over the results of the referendum. We haven't really got the in front of us what the landscape of Brexit is going to look like to argue about yet. So and, and until we do that, it's really impossible to come to a conclusion about about what you know what the benefits or the pitfalls are. So as negotiations unfold, I think the true cost will become um, visible to the British public. And I think there'll be a divisive shift in public opinion. And we, then we might be able to do something about avoiding it rather than because at the moment it's like a big asteroid that's going to crash into us in uh, in March 2019 because we've triggered Article 50. That has a two-year limit on it. And if we haven't got the, a deal done with the European Union by then, quite frankly, it's and we're out. Well, there does seem to be more murmuring that it is entirely feasible that it won't go through. Well, yes, possibilities. There's a lot of possibilities in there. You know, I mean, the, obviously the election result has kind of derailed the idea of what the, the, the Tories refer to as hard Brexit, which means we just get whatever we want and, and damn the consequences. Now it's clear that May, the prime minister didn't get a mandate to do that kind of thing. Yeah. And now she's, I mean, today, I mean, in the papers this morning, she was asking the other parties if they had any ideas. I mean, yeah, the, Labor, the Labour Party, I believe. She was asking everybody, really, but obviously the <laughs> Labour Party being the main opposition. Yeah. That's some, some kind of sort of reflection of how adrift we are yeah. here in the UK at the moment. You know, we've, we've made this decision by a, a small majority, uh, and now we're on this course, and everyone's like, well, hang on a minute, you know, what does this really mean? So, so you know, hence the, the, the sort of a huge amount of discussion on social media. We're trying to work out. What's the best way to combat this? Because it's really, it's not really about our relationship with the European Union. It's about who we are as a people in Britain. Yeah, you know, are we yeah. really frightened of the rest of the world? Do we really want to close our our borders and 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 turn our back on our neighbours and try to somehow find our way back to 1952 or something like that? You know, when we had an empire. Um, I don't think we do. I just think that that's the, the default position of conservatives who don't have any ideology. So they sort of fall. It's basically the same as what you've got in, in the US, really. It's kind of the rise of nationalism. And unfortunately, in Trump, uh, we have a, a change candidate. And that seems to be what's happening around the world. People are voting for change candidates. You know, Brexit was a change candidate. In many ways, um, Corbyn was a change candidate in our election and that's why the Tories were were blindsided by it. People want change and the system isn't able to deliver that change in a way that I think is going to make all boats rise. So people are still going to be angry after Trump's gone because I don't think he'll address the issues of ordinary working people in the United States of America desperately need addressing. I think it's it's fair to also mention that President Barack Obama was a change candidate. And in the analysis of what has gone on between Brexit and Trump uh, there are discussions about the surprise and shock that some people uh, experience. I think there's also been uh, putting it on the left, putting it on the Democrats, uh, the Labour Party. This the no the notion that they have been feckless in the face of this rise in nationalism to be taken aback by it is to seem out of the loop. Were you yourself surprised or shocked by what went down with both Brexit? Yeah, and Trump? I think we were all shocked by Brexit. None of us thought we'd be so stupid as to vote for that. But a lot of people didn't really, weren't really voting about the European Union. They were voting about how um, 
uh, sort of cut off they feel from the main political discourse. It was as much a vote against Westminster as it was against Brussels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's one of the problems about referendums. People don't always vote about the thing that's on the on the ballot paper. They vote, vote about other things. And certainly, there's been a huge disconnect in the UK between uh, uh, those who rule us and those uh, those of us who, who who vote for them. And you know that again, that's not really been been addressed. I mean, re- in reality, our last three elections of of have ended up with with people, you know, not no clear winners. I mean, we have a voting system first past the post that's supposed to deliver clear mandates to rule. 2010, there was a coalition. 2015, the Tories just scraped it. And last month, we're back to, to no government again. And, and I think that's going to be until we change the system and allow people to make everybody's vote count, we're going to be in a situation where people just don't really are too frustrated by things that they end up voting against things rather than vote for things. Well, there is an indecisive aspect to it, too. I remember after the Brexit vote, uh, the BBC was running these uh, news features speaking with people who had voted for it, but then didn't really recognize what they had done. And, uh, you know, we've experienced that uh, in in lots of Western westernized countries where People are given the right and the privilege to vote, but they don't necessarily what they're voting for. As you say, they, they're not happy, so they just want to vote for some kind of change, but they're not really aware of what the implications are. I mean, that's a, it's a very dangerous time in terms of the, the power we have as people. I think they know. What they, I would say the people who voted um, against Brexit knew what they were voting about. But if they think the European Union is the cause of those problems, they're going to wake up in in April 2019 and be really surprised because so many of the things that they were voting about, uh, which is, you know, the uh, the gap between uh, of, of uh, uh, inequality in our country, hmm. uh, the refusal of uh, Westminster politicians to think outside of the, the, the Westminster bubble, all these kind of things are Westminster problems, not not European Union problems. Yeah. There's a, the, one of the lines that stuck out for me in this song of yours, uh, The Sleep of Reason. The kids are alt-right. So it goes, and the kids are alt-right. That's a great line, by the way. That's just a funny, I like that one. Thanks very much. Well, it's part of my job to entertain as well as make people think. So that one does, uh, that one does. That's a, that's a, for me, that's an open goal, that term, alt-right. I can't, you know, because I'm always, um, uh, I do a thing at Glastonbury Festival called the Left Field, and they're always asking me why isn't there a, you know, it's a kind of Labour tent. Why isn't there a Tory tent? Yeah, and that was that was always my idea for the Tory tent would be called the Kids Are All Right, and uh, they never do, they you know, they never do it. But every now and then, someone suggests it to me, and I've got a friend of mine to do me a mock up of the Left Field tent, but it, instead of saying Left Field, it said across the top, the Kids Are All Right. So just tweaking it a little bit to to embrace uh, Steve Bannon wasn't that much of a reach, I'll be honest with you. Right, this is, a, of course, for those who are younger, maybe don't know, this is at least a callback to The Who, right? Very very same, yeah, yeah indeed. The, the very same band, The Who, from uh, England, and they had an expression, the kids are all right. But I know That's one of the... I'm just explaining, Billy, to people who may not know. I love the who. I like that line. Trump seems to represent the last gasp of old white men, but he does seem to have some young people supporting him. We've talked about Brexit as well. Do you do the actions of the next generation 
inspire you with hope or fear? Any both? What's going on? What do you think is going on with the young people? Well, um, because I'm a leftist, I have to believe the glass is half full. So I would say they do inspire me. Yeah, I mean, at Glastonbury Festival just a couple of weeks ago, they were chanting Jeremy Corbyn's name at Glastonbury. Um, you know, in the middle of the night, you'd be laying in your in your bunk and you'd hear people chanting to And they chanted it to the tune of um, Seven Nation Army. Oh. oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. In fact, they, they did it. Um, they, they broadcast Radiohead's um, main stage set live on the BBC in, in a lull. And there were plenty of lulls in it, apparently. In, the, in a lull in the proceedings, the crowd just started chanting it. Oh. and carried on doing it for like 90 seconds on live TV. It's like the Tories were outraged when it was going to get some balance and get the people to chant Theresa May's name. Do you, do you have uh, celebrities in England who came out for Brexit? Like, you know, there, that was one of the, there was all these third tier B-list, C-list, D-list celebrities who, who are behind Trump in America. Did, did you have Yeah, there was, there was some D's and, D's and E-lists. You know, kind of old, old DJs, mostly people my age, you know, old people. Yeah. I mean, that's where the big divide is. It's not really left and right anymore in the UK. It's young and old. You know, the, everyone, everyone under 50 voted um, for, you know, majority. Uh, and those in those groups under 50, majority Corbyn and majority remain in the in the in the European Union. And above 50, it's majority uh, Theresa May and majority leave the European Union. The trouble is the oldens vote more than the young'uns. But the good thing is I think Brexit has woken them up. Yeah. I think because we were, we were last to me when that went down as well on the on the, the Friday morning when we woke up and, and we'd voted to leave the European Union. It was like shock. You know, the left field was like a triage centre yeah. for people who, who, you know, didn't know what was happening. Whereas this year, it felt like the whole bloody festival was left field. So I'm I'm really encouraged by that, you know, and I take it all at uh, at face value. They they know. I mean, you know, for years and years and years, people have been saying, "Don't vote; it doesn't change anything." Well, look what they've done. They didn't even win the election, yeah. And now they've got the Tory Prime Minister asking the Labour leader for some ideas. <laughs> it's just preposterous. So don't, don't let anyone tell you voting don't change nothing. Yeah, it does. You know, you don't even have to win elections. And Nigel Farage, the leader of the United Kingdom Independence Party. Uh, the main party for Brexit, you know, for leaving the European Union, campaigned for years. They never even, uh, uh, you know, he never even won a, a seat in Parliament. He was able to to achieve that. So, you know, don't let people tell you that voting don't change nothing. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned that uh, Glastonbury people, some people anyway, we were complaining that there wasn't a, a tent for the Conservative Party. I, I, there's been a, a lot of discussion uh, among people who can't even understand why uh, an artist of any sort would align themselves with conservative values. Do you share that? Do you feel like that's weird that uh, when a, a musician or a, 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 any kind of artist would come forth and support right-wing values? Well, there are, but obviously, you know, there are neo-Nazi bands out there playing yeah. um, in, in Europe. There's a big neo-Nazi scene. So they do do it. You know, there are some very dodgy um artists out there but they tend to be in a minority it's it's kind of uh i think the the whole um notion of conservative values if you want to talk about consumerist values there's plenty of bands doing that there's plenty of bands out there celebrating you know the mass consumption you know they always were yeah so you know when i was singing between the wars in 1980s there was duran duran on a yacht with a load of models that's right yeah. offering a totally different view of the world so they're all, those people are always around but it's i think it, it doesn't 
you know, doesn't do good, certainly in the UK, to sort of come out and, and say you're too. I mean, Morrissey's come out in favour of Brexit. And yeah. It's a bit disappointing, but he's been going that way for a long time. He's like your kind of weird old uncle. Well, he seems to have mastered trolling. I think he'll just come out and say that he's just, he seems like a contrarian generally. He, I think he always was, probably. Yeah. But in, he used to be charming. He's he's kind of like, you know, he's not this charming man anymore, is he? No, he's not. <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, Brexit woke. The uh, more we ignore him, the closer he gets. <laughs> I mean, Smith, let's just, just end this with a bunch of Smith's puns. Why not? <laughs> sure. Oh, I think technically that last one isn't a Smith's pun, but I know what you mean. Oh, that's right. That's actually a single. It's a Morrissey single. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, you're sorry. absolutely Sorry, right. I hate to pull rank on you there, Vish. No, that's fine. You have every you right. You get loads of letters. If I don't say it, you just get loads of letters. <laughs> that's true. They get angry, the Moz fans, yeah. You, men- you mentioned uh, uh, Brexit woke up, uh, potentially woke up the next generation of voters. This leads me to this next line, though. In this con- from, from your song, of course. In this constant state of what the heck just happened, you feel woke. But through it all, you treat it like it's just some kind of joke. In this constant state of what the heck just happened, you feel woke. But through it all. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Greatest threat faced by democracy isn't fascism or fanaticism, but our own complacency. And so it goes. Best on this show, I've wrestled with the role of satire during what I would call a political. This is a political crisis. What's been going on in the world? So I've been wrestling. Sure. I've been wrestling with the role of satire. On the one hand, I think someone like Trump, he can't handle ridicule. We, we've seen this. He's too thin-skinned. But I sometimes wonder if joking about him or Brexit, if it minimizes their impact somehow. How do you feel about that? Oh, I don't know. I think you you got to you know if you want people to engage with you, you got to be entertaining. 
I've worked with bands who are just political. Now they talk about politics and everything's political and it bored me. I don't know what it did to people. And I'm into politics. I don't know what it did to everyone else. So yeah. you've got to be, you know, you got to get people to engage with you. And a bit of humour uh, goes a long way, I think. You know, it has to be sort of wry humour, as we call it in the UK. So, Well, what was your intention with that lyric? Well, my really intention with that lyric was to set up the next line, which is, um, in the end, the greatest threat to our democracy isn't fascism or fanaticism, but our own complacency. Yeah. That's the real message of the song. It's we mustn't be complacent now, and 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 making a joke of things is a way of shirking for some people, not yourself obviously, uh, but for some people it's a way of sort of shirking responsibility and saying, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. No, I'm I'm really opposed to that. It does matter. Unfortunately, as I say, the young generation seem to have realised that at the election. So beyond talking about it in this way, using your platform to discuss it do you have suggestions on how you combat complacency yeah i think you've just got to uh, encourage people to engage i mean one of the one of the problems i face is the idea the residual idea from the 1960s that singing about it can change things it, that doesn't really work i'm afraid i trust me i've tried my artist yeah music does music doesn't have agency it's great for bringing people together and for expressing solidarity and for raising money and for making you feel you're not alone, which is really, really important in this in this age that we live in now, both because of the political situation and the, the kind of uh, hyper-individualism of the internet. But ultimately, only the audience can change the world. That's always been so. You know, it's, 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 um, and to say otherwise would be to shortchange people, I believe. And I've always tried to make that explicit in my work. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, I think that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to prod people to engage and, you know, to, 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 you know, best pay attention, as I say, a couple of lines later. Yeah, you know? no, I agree. And I, and I think I, I did take that as the, the primary message of the song uh, uh, to, to really be aware and engaged. Yeah. I mean, you're a guy who's been engaged. Because otherwise, otherwise it's just, it's just a whinge. It's got to, you know, a song like that has got to have in it a pearl of, of something that points the finger at the listener. It can't just be us whinging about all the stuff we don't like. That's easy. Finger pointing songs are, 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 are easy. So you always have to be in it where you point the finger at the listener. Yeah. That's one of the things I try and have in all of my all, all of my songs. You know, ultimately we all have some responsibility for the situation we find ourselves in here, and so we need to pay attention and do what we can to to change things. Well, you, you're a, a person, you're an artist who's been politically engaged almost your entire career. And I, I, I have to say, like, I follow a lot of comedians on Twitter. I follow uh, lots of journalists. I follow lots of musicians. I think the ones I follow anyway, and, you know, obviously that's a curated thing, but everyone feels particularly engaged right now. Do you feel that? Yeah, I do. And I, I feel that people, it's weird to say this, but I feel that people feel this because I've, because I've been engaged for a long time. It's been a pretty lonely uh, vigil, some, you know, through right. the late 90s and, and the early noughties. Uh, but now more and more people seem to be woke. I'm certainly getting, you know, more and more uh, young artists are getting in touch with me. At left field, you know, we have three bands every night. Uh, preceded by a comedian. I've had to sack the comedians this year and put in extra bands because there's so many bands out there that want to play. Mm -hmm. No disrespect to the comedians. They are, they're great and they're much more political than the bands, but they've got plenty of platforms still. You know, political bands don't have much space at the moment. So um, I'm trying to create a little bit of that and encourage younger artists to come in. You know, the, on the only um, really in, in the UK at the moment, the only uh, genre that's really pulling its weight is grime. Right. To be perfectly honest with you, you know, it, it's grime uh, still has edge. Uh, it still has attitude. It's still used by its community as a way of communicating, not only with one another, but it's, it's their way of getting in, in your timeline. 
and my timeline where they don't often get, you know, and I, that, that's crucial. But also, very importantly, they were the only uh, a community that came out to support Jeremy Corbyn. Right. You well, know, one or two, one or two artists um, from other genres spoke up, but as a as a genre itself, UK grime, they stepped up for Corbyn. I think that is very, very significant, and I think they deserve a huge amount of respect for that. You mentioned UK grime. I mean, there's been a few articles of late uh, talking about the death of the guitar, about the death of rock and roll for real. Like rock and roll has lost uh, its potency, and you mentioned that music doesn't have the agency it maybe once had or maybe ever had. Uh, well, well, I don't think it ever. Let's just say, Vish, I don't think it ever. Let's just let's just clear that up, mate. Okay. I don't think it ever did. We, we tell ourselves that. But, I, I mean, I hate to break this to your listeners, but Woody's guitar didn't actually kill fascists. <laughs> I'm sorry. Actually, it did a lot of great work. It did a lot of great work, and it inspired a lot of people to kill fascists. But right. the actual guitar itself... That just played great music. Do you do you feel you mentioned you know it's been a lonely vigil uh, for some time being an artist who who tends to work in folk and in, in rock uh, genres I suppose uh, do you feel it's on the decline? I think what's decli- declining is the, the the role of music in youth culture. Hmm. You know, in the twentieth century, it had a vanguard role, um, and I, I looking back now, I think it it's. You could say it was the only social medium we had. And so as a result, we had to contain everything, everything we felt about the world, love, politics, football, everything. Yeah. And and we had, you know, lots and lots of music papers, four weekly music papers in the UK to, to talk about those issues in, to thrash these things out. We, we, we were a contained, a self-contained uh, 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 kind of like uh, discussion uh, group, if you like. That's that's kind of shattered now. If you're if you're 19 and you and you want to uh, talk about the world and get your anger out there, you don't have to learn to play guitar anymore and do gigs and write songs like I did. You've got lots of ways you can talk about the world. But there are still some artists for whom that role of music, talking about the world, is still vital to them. And grime is one example. And, you know, there are communities that are using music to talk about things. I think a lot of the discussion around... Um, gender that goes goes on among young people now is 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 feeding into music you know i look at some of the younger artists in the uk uh we have one at, at uh, leftfield declan mckenna yeah and his politics are about about gender they're not necessarily about you know socialism like mine are but it's, it's still political he's still talking about kids expressing their support for one another and stuff like that so he might not feel he's a you know a lefty but it, as far as I'm concerned, he's making music that talks about the pressure that he and his community feel under. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in music with a capital P. I'm interested uh, political music with a capital P, rather. I'm, I'm interested in music that talks about the pressure that young people feel at the moment. In this country, in my country, they're, they're likely to be the first generation to grow up poorer than their parents. Mm-hmm. So it'd be good to hear what they think, because if they don't speak, someone else will speak for them. Yeah. Station on a rock out of line. Well, I 
Well, I want to ask you about you and Joe Henry. Uh, last year you released this record, Shine a Light, Field Recordings from the Great American Railroad. Uh, and there's a remarkable story behind this record in terms of how you made it. Can you talk about uh, that a little bit? Sure, yeah. I mean, I've been, uh last couple of years, writing a book about um, a time in, in, in British pop culture when our music went from being a sort of jazz-based confection for adults to becoming a guitar-led music for teenagers. And that hinges on a guy named Lonnie Donegan who had a hit in 1956 with Rock Island Line. Mm-hmm started the skiffle boom and the, the skiffle is always all their songs seem to be about railroads in america you know freight train last train to san fernando six five special and so i started thinking to myself what, what why are there so many american railroad songs and uh, and then i i came to uh, uh realize that the americans don't really travel on, on the railroad anymore certainly not west of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And, and and so I thought it might be interesting to take some of those songs back onto the railroad and and see what, what they're, you know, the condition of the American railroad as it is now and see if the songs could bring us any any connection there. So me and Joe last, uh, last year, in, in the spring of last year, we got on a train in Chicago and rode all the way to Los Angeles via San Antonio. And... Um, as you know, there was only one passenger train, the one we were on, all day on that line most of the time. So to get that train out of the way of the freight trains, when they get to a large station, they kind of use the spare platform like a siding. Right. So when you stop in St. Louis, you might be there 30 minutes while freight trains go by. And then the same again in, in, in Austin, Texas, or in San Antonio, or in El Paso. You know, they're, they're, they're hold, they're, they have long holding times, American trains, because they're, they're not really passenger trains anymore in the sense that you might get a train around Toronto or London. They're, yeah. they're, really, just a, they're really just a tourist line. Hmm. And the people that are on them don't really care that much if it takes three days or four days. You know, they're, sure. they're, they're enjoying the ride. So, so in that time, in that wait time, I, I realized there will be a moment for us to jump off, find a, a, an acoustically – uh, helpful place and record one of these old railroad songs, two or three takes. Yeah, yeah. So, and how did you record them? You just some portable thing? Yeah, yeah. We had a couple of really good ribbon mics that Joe had borrowed. He's a, he has, you know, he's a record producer, and his engineer, who's, who's a, a genius, Ryan Freeland, he uh, came along with a laptop and and, and kind of built a, a tree thing that the mics would fit on, and we could kind of put it up and take it down in five minutes. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah. and uh, we just walked in. Uh, you know, sometimes there were people there, sometimes there weren't. Most people didn't pay, you know, two guys playing guitars in a railway station is not a big deal in my country or yours. So yeah. we didn't, you know, we, nobody stopped to ask what we were doing. We didn't ask permission from Amtrak. We just bought tickets for the train and just said to the, uh, the conductor, don't leave without us. We're getting back on. <laughs> and so uh, we, we got to learn the tone of the the third all aboard. That's the last one. Don't miss that. <laughs> and and what insights did you get into the American uh, railway uh, from doing this? Well, the railroad goes to places that were important a hundred years ago, and uh, and you know we, we, you're often looking in when, it, when you're going through cities where you're crossing live roads, the train has to really slow down, and you find yourself looking into people's backyards and sometimes through their kitchen windows. It was a, a part of America I'd never seen before. And I, don't, I think my my American colleagues, you know, Joe, Ryan, and two guys who filmed uh, little clips for us, I, I don't think they'd seen this type of America before either because we were all, you know, taken by it. Initially, um, Ryan was a bit 
sort of, uh, you know, didn't really think it was a great idea being stuck on a train. And by the end of it, he was talking about going to visit his father in uh, in Denver on the train, taking his kids. So it kind of had that effect on us. And, and I mean, how long have you known Joe now? Oh, since the eighties, Joe. Yeah, his his wife used to work for Warner Brothers, and she used to do my PR. Right. I, I met in I met her. Uh, I met him in her office when I was trying to blag copies of Van Morrison records off her. <laughs> and, and Joe and I, Joe and I started a conversation about Astral Weeks that we're still having. Right. So when he, when he, when you ring up Joe and say, "Do you want to ride the rails with me?" His response is not what he, he's like. Yeah, let's do it. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he produced my last record, and and you know, and I, I know he's one of those guys who can do stuff on the fly. He doesn't not worried by the. You know, if if there's noises outside that leak in, and he has a great feel for roots music as well. Yeah. And also, he's an amazing arranger. You know, what we wanted to do was just slightly tweak these songs so that we could put our own imprint on them. You know, put a extra chord here or swing a you know move a a, a chorus around a little bit to make you know make it so we're not just you know we do want to make an album which just Bill and Joe like trains. This old airport's got me down It's no earthly good to me Cause I'm stuck here on the ground Cold and drunk as I might be You can't jump a jet plane like you can a freight train So I'll best be on my way In the early morning rain Who chose early morning rain? Well, I thought that was a good one. I used to busk early morning rain in the, in the 70s. And um, I thought it was a really great song because it talks about the the kind of decline of the railroad yeah you know it's obviously you know it's generally about a plane but the but the guy's lamenting that he can't jump a jet plane like he can a freight train and what he's seeing unfold before him is not only the end of the hobo but it's also the end of the the, the golden age of uh, transcontinental railroad you know it ends it ends right there so it seemed to be a a a great song to 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 finish on, but we also wanted to do some songs from our own lifetimes rather than doing a lot of you know old stuff from the forties and thirties, which predominantly the, the material comes from that period. We wanted to do some things from our own lifetime. So early morning rain and gentle on my mind, they they were, it was really important for us to to factor those songs in. Right, and are you a Gordon Lightfoot fan? Otherwise, I am big time. Yeah. Okay, I have to but, ask. Uh, I have to ask Canadian, that as a Canadian. As a Canadian, Canadian, I have to ask you that. Canadian Railroad Trilogy was too long to get on the record. It was just We were about to get back on the train before we'd recorded the whole of it. So um, <laughs> if you want to know why we didn't record it, as most Canadians do, um, that's why. <laughs> so you and Joe are coming to Guelph, Ontario, where I live in Canada. You're coming to the Hillside Festival. What, yep. what will your sets be like? You're, work, you're doing a set on your own, I believe, and then a set yeah. with Joe. Is that right? I've done a workshop on uh, a Canadian uh, a Canadian folk festival workshops always good fun, and uh, maybe I'll get to play the uh, Sleep of Reason in that context. And then Joe and I are on the main stage on uh, on the Sunday night, 
and we're uh, we're doing our railroad set, but we usually find space for a couple of solo songs in there. So hopefully, I'll be able to bring uh, bring some uh, some some focus into that as well. You mentioned a Canadian folk workshop is particularly fun. You distinguish the Canadian ones from. Do you do other workshops in other countries that aren't as good? Well, it's, a, it's always seemed to me to have been a Canadian thing. The first time I ever came to Vancouver, I experienced the the workshop, but that was a bit. Of, it was a bit of an unfortunate experience, really, because they asked, they explained to me what it was, and asked me if I'd be interested in doing it. You know, a couple of months before, and it, you know, basically, you sit on stage and take it in turns to play songs. You probably only play three or four songs. They said, and, and it was a Woody Guthrie workshop. Oh. And I thought, well, I know, I know three Woody Guthrie songs. How hard can that be? You know, just go and play them with three songs. I know. When I get there on the day, I hadn't really looked in the program. I'd been a bit busy. When I actually get physically there at the stage, who's there setting up? Pete Seeger. Rambling Jack Elliott and Arlo Guthrie and me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so busted. This is going to be so bad. But fortunately, um, Rambling Jack, I was sat next to Jack, and he had taped to the top of his guitar, I suppose as an aid memoir, loads of woody titles. And I sort of looked through them, and I thought, you know what? I could probably busk half of those. Oh, nice. So nice. I'm, I'm probably okay. And I was okay until the end when they sang This Land Is Your Land. Of course, we don't sing that, so I was like, Sorry, this land isn't my land. So I was okay until then. <laughs> well, good for you. That's great. Well, we're looking forward to having you in Guelph. Uh, we, we've talked so much about uh, The Sleep of Reason, and my understanding is uh, you're going to be releasing songs on a regular basis, perhaps yep. towards an album. What, what's the plan there? Well, I think see how far we can go. I mean, if I can get maybe half a dozen away between now and uh, the end of the year, I might compile them together on a on an EP or something, on a on a, uh, a, a CD, sell it through my website. I mean, I'm just trying to get ideas out there. The old days, I would have to wait till I had an album to make, and you know, that's there's nothing in the pipeline at the moment on that front. But um, you know, I've got these topical songs, and they're they're I'm writing them, and I want to get them out there. So normally, I just stick them on my website as free download. But my record company wanted to get involved, and they've been very supportive of this project. So. Yeah, so I'll be dropping one a month between now and uh, and and Christmas. I've got the first three already in the can. Oh, great! And I'm I'm due to to write the the pick up the next three between now and September while I'm out on the road and uh, and record them and then hopefully yeah we'll collect them together as a a kind of fight songs uh, Mark II EP. Okay, excellent. Well, that's great. For more information, people can go to billybrag.co. UK and and follow along there. Follow, you're on Twitter as well, I understand, Billy. I believe I'm all over it, all <laughs> over Twitter, all over Facebook. I'm out there. You're out there. People find can me. find you. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Is there a song we can go out on to uh, play for people right now? Yeah, waiting for the great leap forward. Now, why did that come to mind? <laughs> well, because we still are. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's go with that. Let's do that. Let's do that, and we'll see what happens to the world. Billy, this was an immense pleasure. Thank you for your time, and I wish you the best of luck with everything. Good to talk to you, Vish. It might have been Camelot for Jack and Jacqueline But on the Chai Guevara Highway filling up with gasoline Fidel Castro's brother spies a rich lady who's crying Over the luxury's disappointment so he walks over And he's trying to sympathise with her But he thinks that he should warn her That the third world is just around the corner 
in the Soviet Union A scientist is blinded By the resumption of nuclear testing And he is reminded That Dr. Robert Oppenheimer's optimism fell The first hurdle Only noise I hear is the sound of someone stacking chairs and mopping up spilled beer, and someone asking questions and basking in the light of the 15 fame filled minutes of the fanzine writer. Mixing pop and politics. He asks me what the use is I offer him embarrassment And my usual excuses While looking down the corridor Out to where the van is waiting I'm looking for the great leap forward Jumbo sales are organised Pamphlets have been posted Even after closing time There's still parties to be hosted You can be active When the activists are sleeping With the sleepers While you're waiting For the great leap forwards Oh, one leap forwards Two leaps back Will politics get me to sack Waiting for the great leap forwards Well, You've got a blacklist, I want to be on it Waiting for the great leap forward Well it's a mighty long way down Rock and roll from top of the box To draw in a town You're waiting for the great leap forward If no one out there understands Just start your own revolution And cut out the middle man Waiting for From his album, Workers' Playtime, which came out in the year 1988, that was Billy Bragg with Waiting for the Great Leap Forwards. Thank you, Billy, for being on the show. I thought we were going to go to a railway song. Normally, I have a guest on the show. I say, let's go to a song. They pick something from a 
a newer thing. But he went back, and I guess, unfortunately, we're all going a little bit backwards. Maybe not you and me, but this song that came out in 1988, Waiting for the Great Leap Forward, still relevant. So thank you, Billy, for the time. That was a thrill, and I enjoyed it very much. So there you go. Billy Bragg, iconic, outspoken. Good to have him on the show. This is the 332nd episode of the Creative Control Podcast, which is available on all your finer podcast platforms, including iTunes, Audioboom, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, and many more. You can go to vishkana.com to access every single episode of the show thus far and learn more about me and the show. And you can follow Creative Control Vishkana on Twitter, at vishcreative. You can like us on Facebook. And to listen to a version of this show... Uh, every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time. Around the world, go to CFRU.ca or if you're in the Kitchener-Waterloo area, CFRU 93.3 FM. FM, 93.3 FM on your radio dial. You can hear a version of the show every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time. You can also go to Patreon.com slash Creative Control to make a flexible monthly donation to the program. For your efforts, I will send you, if I still have some, one of uh, uh, two uh, t-shirt uh, designs. I have two t-shirts. <laughs> two t-shirt designs. I will send you a t-shirt uh, if you pledge. So just send me a message uh, once you pledge and we can work something out. This episode would not be possible without our uh, local sponsors. The finest pizzeria in Guelph, Pizza Trocadero. Uh, they are a family-run business. Uh, you can call them for pickup or delivery at 519-829-2444 or check them out at trocaderoguelph.ca also a family business The Bookshelf an independently owned bookstore, bar, music venue movie theater and restaurant located at 41 Quebec Street in downtown Guelph learn more about them at bookshelf.ca and for amazing coffee while you're in Guelph Planet Bean freshly roasted fair trade certified organic coffee planetbeancoffee.com for more information That's it for another episode of this show. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. If you can, subscribe to it, download episodes, tell your friends about it. Uh, All these things help, and uh, it helps spread the word. I'd like to keep doing the show, and I I could only do it if you tell me you want me to do it. Actually, I'll probably do it anyway, but still, spread the word. That's it for me. Thank you very much. Goodbye for now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.